Wait a minute, wait a turn, minute. On the radio. turn on the radio. My homie got a new show and it's time to play it's it though. Play I it hope right. you got in tune. Got he in talking tune. bigger business. Big he business. make a lot of moves. Lot of he talking Scott Katoon. Welcome to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon, and you're listening to Technology Live from WGN Radio. Uh, everyone's out from under the snow. I see people walking downtown Michigan Avenue, which is... Uh, Kind of surprising. I actually figured it would be like a ghost town here. Uh, once again, the sugar, the Wildcats have uh, massively disappointed us, alum. So that's awesome. Uh, joining me for this entire show here is co-founder of Fuda, uh, Shane Jones. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, man. You can pull the mic up a little closer. Um, so at any rate, uh, I don't know how many of you guys know Fuda. Uh, we're going to learn a little bit about it. We're going to learn about Shane a little bit. Um, and also, of course... Uh, well, I guess anyone who works downtown should know Fuda. If you've ever been into like a big building, I feel like you, you should know Fuda. But anyway, we'll get into that. Uh, the other thing we're going to do is, of course, the startup showcase on the second half of the show. We're going to have a company called VKO call in. It's sort of a twist on Airbnb for, for landlords out there. Uh, so they're going to call in and pitch. They got about three minutes to pitch. And uh, Shane and I are going to decide if we should throw money in it or what we should do, uh, per the usual. Hopefully they're good. Uh, of course, that's Republic. So if you want to register, you just go to republic.co. Uh, you can click link your LinkedIn, link your Facebook, link your credit card account, whatever you want to link to it, whatever's got your cards and numbers and money uh, and start throwing cash for as little as $10 you can invest in these companies, which is pretty cool. Uh, the last piece of news before we get over to Shane is uh, February 20th is our next big startup showcase event. It's essentially this show on steroids. It's uh, going to be held at IIT Stewart School of Business. Uh, it can hold three to 500 people. They'll come to attend and watch five companies, including VKO, from all over the country uh, come on in and pitch their business. You can invest in them live on stage. We're going to have an awesome keynote. We're also going to have a workshop on crypto with the co-founders of CoinList. Uh, Paul Menshoff and Ken Wynn from Republic. So if you have questions about crypto or how to how to invest in it or whether you should or shouldn't uh, or any of that good stuff, uh, you're going to want to take a, take advantage of this. You go to events.technori backslash Q1 2018 showcase. Uh, get your tickets using promo code WGN and save yourself uh, 20%. We're part of a picture that's going to be in the, in the history books. People are taking shots outside of Michigan. That's how nice it is. Uh, so let's kick it over to you, Shane. Uh, before we get into food, let's talk a little about your journey because I think one of the, um, I guess if there's an overarching premise to this episode and, and really every episode as we start moving forward is that Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and all these things make entrepreneurship look like just the sweetest, easiest, famous, you know, luxury thing. And we were talking about this offline about how, uh, successful entrepreneurs, that's like the furthest thing from the truth. There's no such thing as an overnight success. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, the early stages, they're brain damaging. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of like day to day. You're just like, is this going to keep working? You know, can we make it to the next week? Can we make next month? I mean, so early on with the startups, I would say it's not fun. No, no. And if you want to have a family or you really have a family, like, I mean, I hope you have the most forgiving wife on the planet because it's going to be, there's going to be some fights, uh, both financially as well as just overall in your time. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's a pace and sometimes it's unhealthy, but you know, it's, it's one of those paces that you're running a while to see where you can get. I mean, like it's that quote I always say for entrepreneurship, it's living a few years of your life. Like most people won't. So you can spend the rest of your life. Like most people can't. That's, I love that line. I mean, and that, but that's the thing is like, and we literally we talked about this in my office uh, earlier this week. I am so tired of seeing the, I, I like Mark Cuban's term, the entrepreneur. They celebrate and live that part of the life you're talking about that most people can't. They are living that life right now. They're not making any money. They just get to say, I'm a founder of whatever. And then it's just like, 
pictures like walking around and, and drinking booze and stuff because it's all free because all these businesses have free parties and stuff for entrepreneurs. But like most people, I think have a very skewed understanding of like how hard this is. Yeah, the quiet ones are the ones you should watch out for. I oh, mean, for the sure. ones that are talking and having all the time to be everywhere, to take all the time to speak with all these different people, put all these posts up. They, what are, I mean, they should be working on other things. You, would you, said, you said the line uh, before we got on the show here where you were talking about how um, – when you're trying to call on the phone, you have a, call, a sales call or whatever it is, like I want to get on the phone with a decision maker, and if they talk for like an hour, you know they're not the decision maker? Exactly. The longer they're talking, the, the less decision powers they have. Oh, absolutely. That's so funny. Uh, and, and the funniest part is this isn't just, when we say entrepreneurship, people think like tech startups. It's not just that. Like that's the sexy name right now. I had lunch this week uh, with a restaurant entrepreneur who I asked him, I was like, I've never... I've always wondered what like a restaurant entrepreneur does when they go to a restaurant. Like, what do you look for? Like, I'm I'm thinking like overcooked food or whatever. He's like, nope. I look for people who are just leaning on the walls. I look for people who like aren't working hard. And I was like, what's the what's the one thing you see in an, a restaurant opening that you know it's going to make it? And it is the most. It works across all all of life probably, but definitely entrepreneurship. He was like, on opening night, if the if the owners are just pitted out, sweating their butt off, working their butt off, sliding, cleaning, di- you know, dealing tables, do everything they have to do. You know there's a good chance of success. It's the ones that you see, you know, cheers and clinking drinks because they're they they think it's over. They've opened their store. There's like they have like a six month shelf life and the and the restaurant's over. Totally. The guys in the back that are doing this to sit in and get comp drinks and be the cool guy. I mean, those are the ones that are struggling the most. The ones that are really in the in the trenches, in the dirt. Those are the guys that are the gritty ones that are making these things really work. Oh, for sure. And I've, I've said this to every entrepreneur that we've ever worked with at Technori. Uh, and that is like, if the, one of the first things I want to know is, are you obsessed with the process? Like if you're obsessed with pounding the phones, hitting the streets, making your product better, getting out and getting feedback, constant refinement, you're just, you're so busy doing all the things you're supposed to do to run the business. Those are the ones I like. The ones who are talking about the, the exit and all this other junk and raising capital and their, their, their pre-raise revenue versus whatever they think their company's worth after raise. It's like, get out of here. It's just a static. I mean, the believing in the product too, believing in what you're doing. I can sell this. You don't want to present this to your, your grandma, your mom, at your friends. Like that's the big part too, is believing in what you're selling. And outside of that, it doesn't matter what your name is, what what your projections are. If you have a good company, you got a great team, and you're striving towards the same thing, and you believe in what you're doing, the success is going to come. Yeah, I mean, uh, a friend of mine was the uh, founder, co-founder of RX Bar, which got sold for six hundred million dollars to Kellogg, and I he was telling the story about. I think he even wrote it in one of his like after they sold, he got a ton of press, and mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. and he was like, when I went to my dad and said, you know, when should I know when it's time to raise capital to like launch my business? He goes stop worrying about raising capital go out and sell a thousand bars and you'll be fine yep and that that message like i honestly got for all of you out there looking to invest in companies and i'm not trying to to crap on the people who that you know that work hard or whatever that you know the showman stuff is part of the business but when you see founders running around taking pictures and selfies and did it all over the place like that is not where i'm putting my money like i i want someone who like I have to force them to run out there and, and do that stuff because they're so busy on the product. Yes. I mean, some of these guys are just running so much that they're not worrying about build, building their own brand. You know, and, and these days, you know, it seems you got to be more than just the face of the company. You got to be what's outside of that? What's, yeah. what's, what's going on with you? And see, the people that know more about you and the more you, that you're out there, the more they want to be a part of this successful thing and, and, and like be a back behind you. I mean, that is so true. Um, one of the, we've had obviously a lot of entrepreneurs on here, and this is, again, with you, a another example of like the same sort of theme that goes through. And that is 
the people will follow you, like whether it's about money and you're talking about trying to raise or I'm trying to get a client, whatever. The people will follow you if you are a perfect example. If you're working your butt off and you're doing all the right things and you you do build a brand for yourself as like a hard work ethic. I wear my food shirt everywhere I go. Like, you know, that stuff will follow. It's the ones who come out and try to pretend that they're this certain persona are the ones that it just never laughs. Like it should be easy for you to go out and be like, what did you do the first week? Like when you, I'll just ask you straight up, like the first couple months when you launched Fuda, what were the first things you had to do? <laughs> Talk to a lot of people. I there mean, sell, sell what we're doing. I mean, what we were doing at the time didn't exist. So you're calling and trying to just sell the dream. Bring, bring them up to the passion you're bringing. You're like, all I'm talking about is how excited I am about this product and how it's going to make your life better. And they felt that. And they were like, how do we, be, how do we jump on board? And it was just, but it was at-bats. It wasn't just sitting back, make, you know, coming up with that perfect email to send. It's just go. Just, ask, yeah, absolutely. Break just, through doors, break through walls, ask the right questions, and get at-bats. I was selling people on my team because they were asking all kinds of questions about some new new products and new things that we are doing at Technorium. I'm like, I'm selling it before I've made it. Like, I'm just selling it. I, I know what I'm going to have. I'm just selling it. And by the time the ink dries, we'll have our, hopefully, we'll have <laughs> what we're supposed to do ready. Um, you allude to it. We've alluded to it with the food tech stuff. Let's talk a little bit about food in general, what it is, and why it's so different. Well, I mean, what we do is we work with local restaurants and we pair them with corporations across the United States. Uh, we, we try to bring that destination dining effect to it where, you know, it seems like millennials and uh, people in general are tired of the same uh, food in their building and yeah. they want variety. And that's our main thing. We bring variety and we help out local businesses and we're bringing that and we're marrying those two in the corporate world. They're straight B2B business. Well, and I can actually speak to it because it's in our building, 20 North Wacker. Uh, there is a market, like this is to go to show. There's a marketplace, uh, I don't know what the hell, what it's called, marketplace creations or something like that on the third floor and minus the BLT, which is delicious. Everything else is sort of meh. Mm-hmm. And it's the same Chinese meats turkey thanksgiving dinner which is basically what they have in their buffet every single day and you go down there and there's like a line during the rush hour but then if you go up to the 10th floor or 15th floor whatever floor it is uh where food literally the line is out to the elevator because every single day it's different food yep totally and that's the thing we want we want to bring variety we want to help mom pa shops compete with these big guys and you know walk in business during like right now and their lunch in their place you know it's a little slow so for them to get out and have a a satellite location opened up in front of a great captive audience. Pop-up restaurants all over the city. You've got, literally, you've got thousands of people in every one of these big buildings. Um, I want to, you know, you, we've talked about this before. I want to go into a little bit more of the deeper dive of you, the entrepreneur, as it pertains to Fuda and the most recent announcement of of where you're you're heading to now. Um, A lot of founders, co-founders, get themselves pigeonholed into this, I'm the CEO, I'm the CTO, I'm this whatever. And Again, I will save this for the CTO position because that's one where if you were the tech, if it's a tech thing and you were the technical builder creator of this IP, I understand it. Mm-hmm. For the vast majority of people uh, that I've found have great success who've come on the show, they all struggle to tell me their title. Like, yeah, on my card it says CEO, but in all reality, I'm the keeper of a million hats. Where have you found yourself the most successful as an entrepreneur? What what if, you know, what's your title? How do you like how do you how do you define your title? Yeah, I mean people ask you like, are you the CEO, this and that? And like and I'm not. And I'm not qualified for that. I have a guy that does you know, Arazio Buza was a, is the CEO at FUDA. He is made for that position. I'm made to work with people and work and spread the word of this business. And that's my role. And I know, it. and I love, and I tell it great. And that's what I love doing the most was sitting back, being real with like, here, here's where I'm at. Here's my role. And if I do it right, it's going to equal out. And you know, I, it comes to this 
like equity trumps fame, you yeah. know, and that's that's my end game here is the equity in this thing at the end and just working to get there. It doesn't matter. I mean, I told people I would shovel crap in there to yeah. the end. You know, it doesn't matter. You're part of it. You're working, and I think that's what people need to get some like you know realization. Like, hey, you know, if you if you are the CEO and and you think you're qualified for that, then so be it. Yeah, but if you're not. So let someone take okay. the reins. Yeah. You don't you, have- 100% of, of nothing is nothing. Totally. And I think that's the part that's often missed. And <clears throat> it's kind of an interesting segue here. It wasn't where I was planning on going, but it is a, a, a unique segue. Um, a lot of times, I, I think that founders have this sort of misconception when they start a business that like it's theirs and they own it and it's mine and I built it and I'm going to own it. And the investors come in and they want, you know, they, they're taking a lot of risk, they think. And so they want a bunch of equity too. And you're like, if you if you give me a deal that makes my cap table messy, we can't grow the company. And likewise, as a founder, if I take all this equity and I make it impossible to hire new people who can make my company better, we're just as in deep doo doo. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, what when you started? How many co founders were there for Fuda? There, there's five of us. Okay, when you got this is a great example. So there's five of you. How do you deter, determine how you're going to dish out equity? Dish out sort of roles and work like was it easy was it got a bang in heads a little bit well you know the three three of us were pretty young and we went to two the executive vice president and president of echo at the time they're serial entrepreneurs they've they had the playbook so we we found people that were you know already not a bad place to start by the way exactly (laughs) echo's done okay yeah and then so the the thing we did was like listen let's not let's not try to be someone we're not like we're great at sales and we're great at operations these guys these guys have the plans to get to the next level yeah. let's join them let's become a partners with them and let's take their lead yeah absolutely. And, you know, without them we wouldn't be to where, where we are now and so that was one of the things you have to like really be, you know put the pride down put the pride on the shelf and and realize you know where, where do you stand here and how are you going to get to the end and you got to find the right people to get there it was all about our team we have a couple minutes before we have to take a break but i i want to get one more thing out of this before we go into the startup showcase mm-hmm. piece um because you brought this up so echo logistics is what you're referring to correct yep first job um, out of school awesome it's a great job outside to have of lifeguarding and abercrombie you know stuff. and being a model yeah. yeah of course i mean that's obvious um <laughs> Actually, I could tell you. Are you wearing Abercrombie cologne? Because it smells a little bit like I'm walking through Oak Brook Mall here right now. It's it's ingrained in us. They spray <laughs> it just, you. They spray you, you so often yeah. when you walk in that it just sort of sticks to your skin. Um, but no, you you bring up a point. You, you worked at Echo, and I think this is something. Uh, again, food in particular. I love having this conversation with with food entrepreneurs because um, very few of the very successful ones came out of food. Mm-hmm. The majority of them uh, have come out of trading, have come out of different things, analytics, logistics. How are you? able to i mean obviously i understand like the story of fuda but how are you able to sit there in your job at echo logistics and go what i've learned from this business which has nothing to do seemingly with food uh these are the traits that i could use for any kind of business but in particular food how are you able to marry those two things because i think there are people out there who go i've got a great idea i could totally do this but who am i i'm a lawyer well the thing is at, at echo early on there the, the pace yeah. the pace that they push you at and you know it's in, it's instilled in you if you want to make like it there, the cologne from Evercrombie, exactly you know <laughs> it's hard boiled it's, it's there it's it's not going away and um you know bringing those uh, habits that we were doing there like the the amount of calling the lead gen the customer uh, service all the operations and logistics getting from the food to the place the docks all that stuff I mean we were in line a little bit but it was more or less just the work ethic you apply the same stuff you apply your your call logs your what, what are you doing each day claw box th- what's your uh, target approach and it just 
apply it to this industry. Just like our the uh, co-founders we worked with with Vip and Orazio, they were they didn't know they were, they didn't know much about logistics. They figured it out. They yep. asked the right questions, broke through the walls. Which same thing with um, when it came to Fuda. We just applied the same playbook. Just figure like how are we just going to get this right product in front of the right people. Who are the decision makers? Who are our target? And then go from there. It, it's it's so logical, and yet I feel like so many people. I don't know if it's fear. Or if it's just like it's, it's a risk, you're, yeah. you're you're happy with where you're at. But maybe risk tolerance. If that maybe that if that's your thing, it maybe this isn't the thing for you. No, I mean if you're if, at Echo, it was everyone, all the, all five of us that were there were doing great and didn't need to leave anywhere. It was yeah. that speed and taking chances and t- going outside of it, and that's kind of like what I did recently as well. You know, it's just taking a chance and and going out there and seeing what you can do. You know, it's funny. It's it's a different um, background, but like when I, I was in real estate and so I, i'm in real estate I'm like the pace is fast the uh the education thing i mean i was literally like thrown to the wolves like you're gonna learn all this stuff otherwise we're you're gonna be fired like that's how it's gonna go mm. and we're not gonna help you you're just gonna have to learn this in like super high pressure and that all was great but then i go i go to grad school I go to northwest and i come out i'm like i'm gonna i'm gonna take over the world right because that's what they told me when they took all my money and uh that's not what happened and so i start working this business and i start creating my own kind of consulting firm and literally this is not the same as you. You got the fast pace and saw an opportunity and decided to go. I hit this wall where it's like, no matter what happens, nothing matters. And it was this sort of, I'm bored and I have nothing to lose. And I jumped into the entrepreneurship thing, literally like, I don't care. Like, I'm just going to do this. And now I have to prove that you don't necessarily have to be cut out of a certain mold. Like I wasn't cut out of the quote unquote entrepreneur mold. I just had some characteristics and hit a wall where I was like, I don't care anymore. And now, fast forward five years, I am obsessed with this. If I was doing anything else, I would be bored out of my mind. If I if I didn't constantly have 15 things coming at me and it just got easy and they started stacking, I'd just be like, all right, well, it's time to move on to something else, which is what you're not saying that's what happened to you, but you're doing that now. You're moving on to another role and another challenge. It's the way you're, I mean, some, it's the way you're wired, obviously. Clearly, you're, yeah. you're, you're, There's you're, some other screwy wiring in there too, but we yeah. talked about that before. But there's things that your body was rejecting what you were doing. It, it, it oh, wasn't sure. accepting it. And so you sought out what got you, what you know made you feel that reason to get up and get at it. And so you know that's sometimes that you'll find that over the place and then it'll go away and then they'll come back again with another opportunity. So like, you know, that's the thing I always say is like, if you're at some, if you're somewhere and you're just, and you're not enjoying it or you think it's time to go, it's not even have to be an enjoyment thing, but you might just, your body just might be rejecting. Yeah. Just something like you should, you, you know, when you feel like I felt like I was wasting away, I felt like I had a bunch of talents that I had learned from the job. <clears throat> There's definitely fostering that took place, but I just felt like this isn't me. Like you start to come, turn into somebody else that you're not. And you're like one day you just wake up and like. Am I really this person? I'm a fraud. <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a fraud to myself. Like this is brutal. Uh, so it, it goes to show that. And in, in, uh, you know, speaking of entrepreneurship and just in general, we're going to have after the break here another entrepreneur who's found great success. Member uh, member of the uh, 500 startups and now raising on Republic. They're actually going to call in VKO. It's going to call in and pitch. Shane, you and I are going to kind of take this pitch and uh, ask questions, whatever you want to do. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about this entrepreneur thing because I think the founder goes a long way to telling the secret of whether or not there's a success there. Welcome back to the Startup Showcase. I'm your host, Scott Katoon, sitting here with co-founder of FUDA, Shane Jones. Welcome back to the show, Shane. Thank you so much, my friend. Of, of course. We're going to have to have you back on more often. Uh, 
without further ado, we're going to jump into the startup showcase portion of the show, uh, which again, as a quick reminder, our real startup showcase, which is our main event, is on February 20th at IIT Stewart School of Business. You can get tickets right now at events.technori.com backslash Q1 2018 showcase. Uh, keynotes are going to be announced next week. We've got five companies minimally coming in from all over the country, including the company you're going to hear from next, uh, Vakeo as well as a workshop on crypto from the co-founder of CoinList, Paul Menchov. Uh, so it's definitely worthwhile. Tickets are $20 straight up or $30 if you want FUDA, which is going to be at the event, uh, thanks to Shane and the, and the team over at FUDA. Uh, so without further oh, and also use uh, the promo code WGN right now and you'll get 20% off of those tickets, which is pretty helpful. Uh, so without further ado, I want to introduce the co-founder of Vakia. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me on. Of course. We're super excited to have you on stage as well. Uh, we've This is one of those companies that uh, I have gotten from Ken and Chuck at Republic, which for those of you who are listening mm-hmm. out there, uh, republic.co backslash VKO. Uh, do you want to spell that for everyone? It's V-A-C-A-Y-O, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. V-A-C-A-Y-O. Go to that link and you can invest in this company right now. They've already hit their hit their minimum, so time is of the essence. Uh, and you can come to the event that I just uh, just plugged for like the fifteenth time uh, and invest <laughs> and meet you in person. So uh, you are you have this is kind of practice for you for the showcase itself. But uh, you have three minutes to pitch us on what Vakeo is, and then uh, sure. we will decide whether or not we want to uh, invest in you. We'll share all the information uh, for the links and everything else, how to invest, blah blah blah. We'll share that on Facebook after the show. So without further do take it away. Hi, everyone. I'm Isabel, COO of Vakeo. Vakeo is a real estate management platform and service that guarantees landlords higher income and eliminates their vacancy risk. We do this by leasing the property at 10% premiums, then we furnish and manage it, and then bring it to the short-term rental market online on, um, on sites like VRBO and Airbnb. We've scaled to six cities um, in in under two years, and the way that we were able to do that was by leveraging super hosts, who are hospitality experts with the highest ratings on platforms like Airbnb, and they partner with us for our on-the-ground operations, so they allow us to scale quickly and maintain quality control. So we got into this business um, realizing that finding and listing short-term rental properties has never been easier. Um, the impact of technology on real estate and the hospitality industries has quickly been realized by both tourists and people who own um, investment properties. However, managing short-term rentals has, is still difficult, and Airbnb and, uh, and similar platforms do not furnish or manage their listings. They're simply a marketplace. So we felt there's a need for a reliable, smarter approach to property management, one without the hassle, and that's why we created VKO. Which is which is a better way to lease and manage short term rental properties. Nice job. So in everything. Oh God, yeah, no! Keep oh, going. Keep going. <laughs> oh, so um, and everything we do at Vaco, we believe in an enhanced, simplified property management management experience. So we built a owner dashboard where a landlord can go on our website, plug in their address, and instantly get um, a higher rental guarantee offer. From there, we um, match their property to a local super host who will quickly go within an hour or two to vet the property, and then the lease can be signed electronically. So we can get a property leased and furnished ready for the first guest in under 72 hours. And in this process, we're eliminating the problems and risks um, of, of traditional property management model by simplifying it. So 
there's no more broker fees, no more management fees. Um, it really is a passive income, a true passive income for the landlord. They just get a check at the end of every month. They don't have to be involved in their property um, in any other capacity. That's that's awesome. So just so, to give you to give you yeah. kind of a, a heads up, so you've got <clears throat> a former recovering property manager uh, in me, and you've got a logistics expert on the other side of this. Uh, so uh, you've got the right company here. I. I, right, I love the right. idea. I think um, the the thing that stands out to me is the furnishing part and, and the fact that this mm-hmm. enters a whole host of landlords and property owners that probably, you know, whether they didn't furnish it because they didn't want to handle the management side of Airbnb or they didn't furnish it because they planned on, they thought they'd lease it or, or sell it sooner than that. Uh, this is an unbelievable way for them to sort of still make some money. Uh, what what, right, are the, what right. are the costs for you guys when it comes to on furnishing? Like how does that whole process work? So for the furnishing, we've partnered with companies like Ikea and Wayfair. And we will rent it to them. Um, we will um, buy it from them um, at a discount, and they will have the place furnished the next day. So we're able to have it done really, really quickly and inexpensively. And then we're also testing a model of renting furniture. So there's a new company called Feather that we partnered with that is only in um, certain cities in the West Coast, but we happen to be in those in some of their cities as well. And we will rent furniture from them. And that kind of that cuts down our um, customer acquisition cost. It's a little more expensive long term, but short term, it, it'll, it allows us to grow faster. Shane, do you have any questions on this? Yeah, um, for for the models of like the furnishing, I mean, you're going to have probably done tons of different kinds of clientele coming through. Do you have certain like ones they could pick out for like the guys' version, the women's version, the couples' version, or like when it comes to what you're you're staging? Do you have right. different setups? Right. So um, we have, you know, the owners are really hands off. I mean, they're not really so concerned with the furniture. They want us to, you know, furnish it the way we think it'll, you know, generate the highest revenue and and work out. So we furnish, um, we have our two styles. We have our shabby chic and we have our modern. So it really just depends on the aesthetic of the house that we try to, you know, maintain, you know, the integrity of of the look of the house. And then we also furnish um, with groups in mind. So, um, one of the ways that we're able to differentiate ourselves um, from other Airbnbs and also not compete with hotels as much is that we furnish um, for groups. So we're looking at more sleeping arrangements, having, you know, more privacy whenever we can when kind of achieve that for our guests. Um, you know, we've noticed that multi-generational travel is really on the rise. Um, so people are traveling more and more in groups and they need you know, more options. So our, when, when we furnish, we really keep that in mind. I would call myself shabby chic. I agree. <laughs> I think that's the, that's the best I could possibly muster. Uh, I have one more question for you and then we're going to cut to break and Shane and I will pick up and decide what we want right. to do with this. Um, Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring Shane in on this question, though. Uh, from a, a growth and, and new market standpoint, how have you, right. I know you said you leveraged super, the super uh, hosts, uh, sort of like we would yeah. connect the super connectors. That's sort of our, our game. Um, how did you take this from like, what was the first city? And then how quickly were you able to get into the new cities? And I guess my, my question that falls in line there mm-hmm. is, is how did you or how have you uh, differentiated into those cities to make sure that, you know, what worked here would work there, would work in St. Louis, would work in New York? Right. So we started in New York, um, and we started, you know, more as just a side hustle um, when Airbnb was, you know, first starting to really gain a lot of traction. And um, in New York, there's always, you know, the demand always outstrips the supply. So we never had a problem, you know, maintaining 85, sometimes 90% occupancy throughout the year. 
So when we were going into other cities and we, we bootstrapped our company. So we started out, you know, with very little getting places with free furniture off of Craigslist. And we grew, um, let's say, to around 40 landlords in the city. Um, and then we realized that it was time to, you know, to try other cities. So we went to Miami, we went to San Diego, and we basically looked at the hottest vacation rental markets where there's the most um, traffic. So some people don't know that those places are, you know, extremely popular for, for tourism and also just for vacation rentals. Um, so we scaled to those cities, and then from there we um, went to Mountain View, which is more of a corporate feel where we're getting a lot of, you know, startup people and, and people working in tech coming, um, you know, coming to stay and not wanting to be at a hotel. Um, we're also now in Philly, we're in DC. So for us, um, it's really about finding those, you know, high density areas where we can, where we can command high revenues and know that we can guarantee the rent very comfortably for the landlords and still have a good margin for us. Um, so I wouldn't say the strategy was so different in any of the cities. Um, perhaps in Miami and San Diego, it's more focused around, um, three, four, three, four, five bedroom homes because there seems to be a lot of demand, um, you know, from the market for that. But I think that, you know, our model is basically group travel. Um, so we're looking at, um, focused on two bedrooms plus and finding, um, you know, that the guests, you know, there's a high guest demand, you know, coming from, coming from the travel, the, um, group travel side. Um, in terms of the super hosts, we find them, you know, we're basically hacking Airbnb and finding, you know, that they're, um, there's many super hosts on Airbnb that are very motivated to take on new properties, but they don't have the resources that we have to go lease them or easily find these landlords. So we're kind of, that's what makes us um, a platform in that we bring the landlords and we bring the super hosts and then we match them. Very cool. And for those who are interested in investing, um, how much revenue have you guys generated so far? So we've generated $1.8 million in revenue so far. Um, our first, we've been around for two years. Our first year we we generated a little bit over a million, and then now we're, we're, we'll be coming on to two years with, with $2 million in revenue. Um, we're, we're expecting with our current you know, 20% month over month to hit um, $3.8 million, um, in our third year and just, you know, keep, keep growing from there. Um, so, yeah, our revenue is very strong, and, and we are profitable. Very cool. Where do people go? Uh, I've said it a couple times, but I'll let you say it this time. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do people go to invest in your company right now? So right now you can go on Republic, and so it's republic.co backslash vacayo, and easily invest anywhere from $100 all the way up to 50000 if you want to become part of our advisory board. Very cool. But That's- it's pretty much, you know, anyone can, anyone can invest in our mission of helping to make life easier for property owners. Only in this new entrepreneurial world can you can buy a seat on the advisory board. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to call in today. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Of course, anytime. Uh, I'm Scott Katoon. You're listening to Shane Jones from co-founder of FUDA. Uh, we are going to take a quick break. This is WGN Radio. We are back to the Startup Showcase on WGN Radio. I'm Scott Katoon hosting this with my guest host of the week, Shane Jones, co-founder of FUDA. Uh, and also, you have a new title now. What's the new company you're at? I'm at a company. Oops. I'm at a company now called Revzi. R E V Z I. And what will you be doing there? I am the director of strategic partnerships, working with uh, different associations, chambers, and trying to work with uh, create channels for our for our company to you know kind of. So you mean this company people. found out that you were able to get a FUDA inside of like every single building in Chicago and thought, eh, 
he might work out. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was the right timing. You know, yeah. everything kind of worked out. It was uh, I'd been at Fuda for seven years. I was look, I was getting the edge to do something different. Yep. Uh, I had some great uh, interviews, some awesome opportunities, but fell in love with this team, this product, this uh, and just what the space they were in. And yep. they're in a special time right now. I mean, they're they're two years old. They're doing some hyper growth right now. They opened up uh, Denver in September. Just launched SoCal and uh, uh, Newport Beach in January this year. And it's it's just super exciting. Their goal is to be in 25 different uh, states across the nation here, and I'm going to help get that to happen. Further proof of that, that there's no such thing as an overnight success. I mean, the fact of the matter is, if you talk in the community, I mean, you guys raised food out, raised capital not that long ago. Mm-hmm. It's still considered a startup, and you're talking about, I'm just like done with it. It's seven years later, I'm on to a new thing. Entrepreneurs who have success, continued success, not one-hit wonders, uh, always have this problem. It's like three or four years. For you, it lasted seven. We're like, mm-hmm. all right. I like proved everything I needed to prove here. And it's, you know, like we've used my skill set. Now it's time to find someone else to do this. And I'm going to move on to another challenge, uh, which I guess this is as good a segue as any. We just had uh, VKO do their pitch. And I think we're both kind of nodding at each other like, wow, mm-hmm. this is so smart. And there's like this micro niche within a niche within a niche that was created by Airbnb that can be just be crushed. And she said all the right things for me. I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about it, but the hundred dollars I think is as good as gone off my pocket. I agree, one hundred percent. And like the the families traveling together, I totally am on board with what she's saying with there. I just uh, my wife and I went with her family for the first time ever, like a generational trip, and it's going to happen every year now. Yeah. My family want to do they want to do it this year for the first time. My buddy Nate from home is his grandma just got diagnosed with cancer, and they're going to do it. I mean, it's, but I'm, I'm hearing more and more just you're taking your kids, you're taking and you're going with your brother, sister, and your mom and dad, and you're taking your spouses along and having this awesome trip. And then it ends up being a yearly thing. Yeah. I, I feel like Vacay was built for Chris Baranz and the Wild Bunch. Yeah. Like that's the, this is the perfect scenario because there's a family where like I think that he would cause more damage than the kids. But I'm well, just, the hotels, you know, I'm, they, they got their faces on the walls. They're not going to win there. <laughs> it's like Vegas. <laughs> he showed. He's like, nope, you're yeah. not coming in. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think on that one, uh, take my money. Um, as far as entrepreneurs and, and sort of listening to, uh, you know, as a founder, uh, listening to other co-founders talk about their stuff, you know, she could have gone on, I feel like forever, like we could have just let the, let the tape run and she would have just kept on firing. Um, that to me is an attractive quality when it comes to what I want to invest or what I believe that this company has, has legs. She tells a good story. She does. Yeah. And, and she, she, and I was just talking to a buddy of mine actually, uh, yesterday morning about his company and his pitch. And it was like, you've got to infuse opportunity numbers opportunity numbers and she did that the whole time everything she would say like here's an opportunity here's how we capitalize here's how here's what happens if you capitalize da, 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 da. you know already knowing what her numbers are supposed to be for 2019 when i'm asking her about 2016 like that that fluidity of, of thought and your company means that you spend an awful lot of time thinking about it totally it's just like on shark tank you know your numbers you're gonna be fine <laughs> yeah but it's, it's so true um and so you know as we kind of shape you know shift on to the next kind of phase of conversations when we talk to to companies and entrepreneurs and founders and so forth. When you like th- this is kind of when I was talking to I think it was on this show actually Vic Pascucci who's the managing partner of Lightbank another Echo speaking Echo Logistics, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how numerous times and obviously not as many as he's saying uh, Lightbank has made very large sizable investments and they usually do it on the founder and he's like there are times that the founder pitches to me or the team pitches to me and I'm like I'm giving you a few mil- a few million dollars. And I honestly am not all that convinced that the company that you're pitching to me right now is going to make it. But I know that by investing in these founders, I've got them on this team. And I know that the founders are going to make it. It may not be this. It might pivot. But it's, you you all are going to crush something. Invested in you. I mean, Lightbank is a early uh, adopter of FUDA as well. So, yep. I mean, yep. 
Very cool. Uh, what are the the sort of things that you would recommend for anyone who is uh, either looking to transition into starting their own company uh, or maybe starting their company and feeling like after the first three years of FUDA, it's like, man, are we ever going to get where we need to go? How do you keep yourself flying? I mean, you just have to you have to keep at it with many different things. You got to build a team around you, too, that are on on pay, like on the same like pages you because if you have anyone who's sour or not believing in what you're doing it makes this hill so much harder to yeah. climb and so i would say just keep at it and, and you know what the the, the thing that, that matters most is do you believe in what you're doing and you believe that you're helping someone at the end of the day you're like i did something good here yeah i'm, I'm not a fan of gary v um but his his line on dump losers is one of my it's like one of the fa- i watched the video all like the 14 time f-bombs in between well yeah that. of course which i would do if this was the podcast version of the show it'd be f-e-f-f-f but it's not uh so we have to keep it clean here uh but the, but the truth is there is no worse influence in your life whether it's personal or professional than a than a than someone who says no and can't do it and is like just down on you and lazy like you got to cut them, and and maybe maybe you're the the problem. Maybe cut yourself. I don't know. It's hard enough as it is, but you need to have all the positivity around to keep thriving through it. If you could start a company right now on your own, what is an area that you 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 know something you think is totally disruptable that you you would love to do? Uh, it's a hard question because you're just jumping into a new job, but yeah. but it's still like you know like for me. I get people like you every day coming in, pitching them like, man, if I had the time, I'd love to jump on this. I mean, it sounds self-serving now, but with, with what Revzy's got going on right now, I mean, like, we're one of the industry's fastest growing point of sale technology companies. Yeah. And what they're doing for so many different places when it comes to just restaurants, bars, retail, salons, it's, it's, it's insane. It's, it's, it's so cool. And the amount of stuff that they have, it's so valuable to these people. It can change the game for mid, small, any type of business. Everyone's processing their cards right now. It's, it's, a, it's a necessary evil. But right, the thing that we can do is add value to that. Yeah. And most likely save you or match your current situation. And I mean, the, every single I could put a bag on right now and walk to every single place on these. They're they're all doing processing. They're all yeah. swiping. So, I mean, the amount, the scope of what we can go after is just huge. And so I lo- I like this. I'm, I'm I'm liking what they're doing. I think that this would be one. It's a technology play. It's not going anywhere. And with all these places, you need to adapt or die to the situation. And uh, see. Yeah. I mean, that's quite a political, but yeah. great answer. No, it's a great. It's I mean, they're happy you just said that. Uh, no, it's it's true. I mean, I I think one of the things that I'm looking at now that is attractive i have no intention of jumping into this but it is attractive is the lack of qualified younger sales folks people who have never done cold calls have never knocked on doors i just want to like start something and bring them in and be like listen this is what it this is what it takes because i think years of all the social media swiping away scrolling away you lose the ability to communicate with a human face to face and at the highest level sales, every single deal I have. In fact, I've joked about this with other people, both on and off the show. I have, uh, you know, maybe a half dozen fairly large national sponsors, and I don't have a contract for any of them. Every single deal that I have has been a face-to-face meeting where it's like, we like what you're doing. We want to help you build it. We think that there's a lot of value for us. We'll give you this money. You deliver this. And, you know, spin on the hand, shake, because it's just bond. Like, it, you, I trust you. And I think that for a lot of these businesses, especially t- tech businesses, the founders are struggling because they can't get sales up. They can't mm-hmm. figure out how to 
how to communicate value to people. And, and I would love to find a solution for that. That face-to-face is what makes it too. Like I tell my people at Revzy now, like on Fridays, you're not allowed in the office. You just, you yeah. need to go and face-to-face. I'll be golfing down. so I can work for Revzy. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. But like, you know, the, I, but the sales thing too, I mean, I wish I could have took, you know, in school, some classes that, you know, were in sales, but you know, I'm on the board over at St. Ambrose University where I went to school and they're starting a sales program. Yeah. You know, it's a, you know, and you're going to be cold calling. You're going to be working on business plans. You're going to be hitting the ground running already. You know, and that's the thing that a lot of these people, their first job, they're, they're, they're doing the cold calls. They're learning all that. Imagine learning that in school before you graduate. When you hit the ground, you're already a level up. Oh, you don't want to get me started on the school thing. Uh, <laughs> I just posted about it today. I, it's just to me, like, unless things change, it just feels like a scam because they're, they're taking kids' money and educating them in, in jobs that don't exist. Or they're not going to exist. And so, like, I, I, I totally agree with that. I, I feel like if there was either the schools teach something tactical and tangible uh, or the kids themselves get out and after high school go try to start something. Like, we, we had the kid last show from Snap Clips. Mm-hmm. 19 years old, goes to Wheeling, does go to UIC, but uh, started a company out of a class project. You know, another kid who, like, doesn't know anything about anything, really. And was just not afraid to find out how to do it. Just execution, too. I mean, you think about it all day, but just he took a step. Yeah, everything comes down to execution. Uh, Shane, this has been awesome spending this hour with you. Uh, I hope to have you back again sometime soon. Where do people go if they want to, you know, keep up with you guys or, or work with some of the companies you work with? Yeah, I mean, so if you have any questions or want to learn more at all about Revzy, you can go to www.revzy.com, R-E-V as in Victor, Z-I. And if you want to talk personally to me and ask questions, I can help you out. It's Shane at Revzy.com. Very cool. And I'm going to plug FUDA for you and because it. if you want to learn more about FUDA, you can go to the showcase on February 20th uh, and we will give you everything you need to know about FUDA. Uh, that is a wrap for the show. If you want to uh, learn more about Technori and what we're doing, you can, of course, follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Technori. You can follow me at Katoon. We're going to kick it to the news here. It is two o'clock and uh, have a good rest of your Saturday.